When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I'll tell you in a minute, but I've been looking forward to doing this ever since I heard about us going live. Oh, yeah. We should uh, let everybody know that we're actually trying something new. We're doing uh, the shows now with a live studio audience over at adfreeshows.com. You can actually be a part of the program and be here. We talk about early and ad free. Well, how about in real time as we do it? And uh, I have no idea what to expect at the end of the show. We're going to take some questions and whatnot. And, man, you want to talk about instant feedback? We're going to get it here today. Isn't that right, E? It is. But before we get going, this is what I wanted to do. When I find out we're going live, hold on, give me a second. Oh, good morning, America! <laughs> Throw back to Robin Williams. I just had to do that. I don't know why. Been thinking about it since I woke up. I don't know why that tickles me, but it does. Uh, we uh, we hope that you guys had a great Thanksgiving. We're uh, getting the band all back together here. Of course, you and I threw a couple in the can because you were going to do some cross country traveling. How did it go, man? You uh, went to Minnesota and back in a snowy time of year, loaded up the wife, loaded up the dog. It was uh, It was a uh, happening, was it not? It was. We had a great time. I uh, got to Minnesota. We got there a couple days uh, late, actually, because we had a little bit of a vehicle issue right as we were supposed to leave Friday. Uh, something went awry in the computer system, and my ignition wasn't working properly, so... I got a little bit of delay, but finally got there. I did a great job on Thanksgiving, if I do say so myself. So did Mrs. B. My sister's a good cook. Everybody pitched in. And then I went to WrestleCade on uh, Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, and did WrestleCade Saturday. And then Saturday night, right after WrestleCade, flew down to Tampa and signed a bunch of books with Guy Evans. 
and then Sunday morning flew back to Minnesota and finished off the weekend. And here I am back in Cody and I'm heading to Salt Lake city uh, Friday for an event on Saturday night. Diamond Dallas page will be there. Devotion championship wrestling, their four year anniversary. It's going to be fun. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, devotion championship wrestling this past weekend. And, uh, if you're still looking for more Eric Bischoff content, can I recommend grateful? It's the brand new book that's been out almost a month now. Uh, it's available on Amazon. You can get it on paperback. You can get it uh, on your Kindle. By the way, when you get it on your Kindle, it's instant. And when they say instant, they mean instant, uh, but it's 20 something bucks. If you want a paperback and that's what I've got, I threw it on the shelf. I think it's a cool collectible to have. And you want to talk about speedy delivery. Amazon has you hooked up. It makes the perfect stocking stuffer or gift for the wrestling personality or wrestling friend in your life. Uh, but also one that you just want to have on the shelf. And I've just seen nothing but glowing reviews, uh, everywhere I look, it's another five-star review, uh, full and thorough five-star review on the 27th, very recommended five-star review on the ninth. Five-star review, what a book, on November 22nd. Even better than his first book on November 13th. Could not put it down, another five-star review on the 11th. Amazing, a five-star review on the 17th. Just one after another, dude. It feels like unanimous high praise for the book. Is it meeting, exceeding your expectations? I, You know, I, I manage my expectations pretty well. I, I didn't know what it would do. You know, my, to be honest with you, my thought was, man, people listen to me, you know, run my mouth two and a half, three hours a week on the podcast and in other interviews I end up doing and, and um, over on YouTube with Christy Olson every Thursday night, it's like, maybe, you know, I don't know. Nobody really cares. <laughs> you know, I don't know. So I manage my expectations, but it's, it's, it's been doing really, really well. And the one thing I do want to mention, cause I, I didn't want to overhype this when the book came out um, because I didn't want to, I didn't want people to buy the book because of this. But we've done something that, to my knowledge, no one else in the history of publishing has ever done. So when you talk about, hey, you know, just have the book and put it on your shelf. It's a nice collectible. Let me tell you something. This thing may be a collectible someday. Not like a Gutenberg Bible collectible. That's kind of taking it too far. Um, by the way, I did see the Gutenberg Bible uh, when I was in high school over in Germany. But <laughs> I digress. We've done something that nobody else, to my knowledge, has ever done, where we've included a QR code at the end of every chapter. And you just use your phone and, and, and hit that QR code. It will take you to an exclusive interview that you can't find anywhere else featuring somebody who is a subject or an important part of that particular chapter. Nobody in publishing has ever done this. This could doubt go down in history is the first, what would we call this? I don't know, multi-content you know, book, uh, because you get the bonus content in video form, but you have the physical book. Nobody's ever done that before. So I'm, I'm proud of that. I, I, it's going to be cool to see how people react to that and to see who follows suit because I tend to do that. I tend to do things and then other people follow suit and then, you know, take credit for it, but that's okay too. You innovator, you, well, listen, I, I know I, I just can't help myself. I can't help myself. I, uh, I saw really great, uh, feedback from our guy Evans episode last week, I saw lots of folks talking about how much they enjoyed the nitro book and that they couldn't wait to pick up this one. And I hope everybody takes our advice, go to Amazon, type in grateful Eric Bischoff. Bam. There it is. 20 something bucks. And it'll be at your house later this week. 
Uh, I mean, they're shipping them fast over at Amazon. And uh, listen, it's cool to have the Kindle version. I'm not arguing that at all, but I, I like to still have it on a shelf. And I know you can't see it from from what you're seeing right now because the bookcase behind me is just filled with bills. But to the left and right, it's nothing but wrestling books. And man, I had to have this one. I don't regret it. You won't either. And uh, you won't regret listening to today's episode. We're going to be talking about the living legend, Larry Zabisco. He was born December 5th, 1951. So uh, as we're, as you're listening to this today is his birthday. So throw that man some love on social media. If you enjoy happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Larry. Happy birthday to you. Did you do a little Elvis right there at the end? Yeah, I had to, I had to, I had to right at the end. Just, just, a, just a little bit. Well, if you want to throw our man a little bit of love on social media, uh, he is on Twitter at living legend LZ. That's at living legend LZ. And I think today is his 71st birthday. I, I am curious, like, well, the name like Lawrence Whistler, and I understand okay. back in the day, everybody used gimmick names. Whistler is a way cooler wrestling name than Zabisco. Nobody can even freaking spell Zabisco. If you were Larry, would you have kept the last name or would you have picked a different? I mean, who picks Zabisco is my point. No, I think cool names are a little bit of product of, of, of their relative time in history. I think when Larry was coming up in professional wrestling, Whistler was just a little, I don't know, unimpressive. Um, so I would have changed it. Now, granted, Zabisco is a mouthful, but, and I've never asked Larry this, but, you know, there was a, a very famous professional wrestler by the name of Stanislaus, Stanislaus Zabisco. And I think, and I've seen other wrestlers do this, you know, they go back in time and they take, take on the name of somebody that preceded them a generation or two previously. So maybe that's where Larry came up with it. He was, he was paying tribute to his Polish compatriot. Because I think Larry's Polish. There you go. I think. Sorry, Larry, if you're not. But I think that's where it came from. But you're right. It's tough to spell. He's originally trained by Bruno San Martino and even main events a show with him at Shea Stadium in 1980. It's got to be the high point of his career. And I realized to some of our younger listeners, maybe that doesn't make sense. But once upon a time, Bruno was the man. And we can't can't emphasize that enough. I mean, before there was a Hulk Hogan, before there was a, a John Cena or the rock or a stone cold, like the, the torchbearer, the flag bearer, whatever you want to say. I mean, he, he was the masthead of the WWWF for what felt like ever. And the idea that you get to work a match with him in Shea stadium, boy, that's a big old opportunity. Is it not? It is. And, and Larry, you know, bless his heart. That's what Jimmy Hart says. Bless his heart. And you know what that really means, don't you? Because you're from Alabama. Yeah. (laughs) You don't want to hear anybody say that about you. You don't want anybody say, oh, that Eric Bishop, bless his heart. Correct. (laughs) Because that means you're in trouble. But um, Larry would always let you know, in every promo I think I've ever done with Larry, and it didn't matter what, the subject of that promo is about he would find a way to work in the fact that he sold out 
<laughs> was it Madison Square Garden or something with with Bruno San Martino? Wherever it was, Chase Stadium, yeah, some yeah, big yeah. some big ass venue. He'd always figure it out. Larry, you just got out of the match with Kurt Henning, and he beat your ass. He set you on fire. He painted you purple. And Larry would grab the mic and say, yeah, reminds me of when I was in with when I wrestled Bruno San Martino. We sold out Chase Stadium. Larry, come on. Stay on track. Just kidding, Larry. Just kidding. Having fun with you on your birthday. Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful, hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame. And you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at PaintYourLife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WEEKS to 87204. That's WEEKS to 87204. Text WEEKS to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Uh, he joins the AWA in 1984 and goes on to marry Vern Gagne's daughter, Kathleen, in 1988. Did you get to know Kathleen at all? Sure. Sure. I get to know the whole family. Um, yeah. And, and, and Kathy was always like, how do I describe Kathy? You know, Donna was very much daddy's girl. Um, right. And it was obvious, you know, Vern just worshipped Donna. Um, Greg, obviously, in the business. Beth was a flight attendant, and Beth wasn't really part of it. You hardly would ever see Beth around. Um, she just had her own career, and it's almost like she wasn't – I mean, she was close to the family. Don't get me wrong. There was no, you know, nothing going on there. It's just that she – you never saw her at events. You never saw her in the office. Um, but Kathy, you did from occasion. But Kathy was like – she was different. She had a very good, she had a great sense of humor. She didn't really take anything too seriously. Um, she was cool to be around. She's fun. In 1987, uh, Larry heads to the NWA for a year before returning to the AWA in January of 89. And in 1990, he finds himself being the final AWA champion. I assume it's while in the AWA. That's where you first meet Larry. Would that be about right? I got me a question about that timeline. Okay. I, I, I don't think I started in 87. I didn't start announcing until I don't remember when it was. Might've been a year later, 88. And Larry Zabisco was the first interview I ever did. So he was with the company when I started announcing. I don't think he left. He might have gone and wrestled in the That's NWA, correct. Yeah, NWA, yeah. But he still was uh, active in AWA. By that point, it's like all hands on deck. We got to beat Vince McMahon. So you were seeing guys, you know, they were working together is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of that. You know, Super Clash 3, I think 1988 or there we go. Look at Larry. Look at me. Oh, my God. I still have that jacket. Uh, Larry has claimed that he did your first TV interview with you as the announcer. And of course it's a, it's a time where they need to pick someone to replace Larry Nelson, who, uh, 
maybe was unavailable at the time. And uh, I think at the time before this, you were just a quote unquote, just a sales guy. And you kind of became an accidental broadcaster. Is that about right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I was in sales and syndication. I was out trying to get local television stations in the five state Midwestern area where Vern uh, promoted live events. I'd go from city to city in my car and my little bag of videotapes and all my information. And I'd talk to program directors and general managers and do the song and dance and convince them that they needed to have professional wrestling on their schedule on either late Saturday mornings or late Sunday mornings. Let's um let's talk about that first promo. Larry has said that you were so nervous that he couldn't help it. He broke out laughing and they had to redo the promo. Is that the way you remember it? That's putting it mildly. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's so and I, I and I, I know I've told this story before, so I'm gonna I'm gonna truncate it here. That means make it shorter. And Here's what happened. I'm in my office, probably wearing that same sport coat, white shirt, and red tie that you saw in that image that Steve Kaufman blasted up there. I'm in my office. I'm minding my own business. Context. I was not allowed on the TV side of a building. There was two sides of the building. There was the studio side, and then there was the office side. On production days, when the talent was in Minneapolis to do their market edit promos, if you will, uh, promoting individual matches in live towns around five seat area on those production days, when it was all the wrestlers in there and, and Vern was in there, Greg and everybody's directing and they're shooting all the stuff. I was not allowed in there because Vern was very, you know, he was all kayfabe to, to the core. I, I didn't have a reason to be in there and Vern didn't want me anywhere near it. So I might up and I was fine with that. I didn't want to be in there. So I'm in my office doing my office stuff got my sport coat up there, got my tie in the drawer. I hear knock on the door. Somebody comes in. I, I, I honestly, I don't remember if it was Greg Gagne or Mike Shields. I kind of think it was Mike Shields, but I don't know for sure. I said, uh, Eric, uh, grab your jacket and uh, you have a tie? G- grab a tie, follow me. But I do. Uh-oh. I'm in trouble. And I walk in. And I find out that I'm going to be replacing Larry Nelson. Right. In mind, I have never done anything like this in my life. I had spent a lot of time in front of a camera. I was a, I hate to say it, it sounds so weird, but I was a model. I did some commercials. I did all that kind of stuff. But that's different. You're just standing there, you know, looking cool as shit. Um, <laughs> and. I get the microphone and now Vern's directing me. And I mean, I'm a little intimidated. I've only been there for 18 months, maybe less. Greg's there. There's like 30 or 40 wrestlers standing around. It's like, versus, okay, I can't do a good Vern imitation. Not this early in the morning. I got to have a couple cocktails in me and then I'm decent at it. But okay, here's what we're going to do. It was always exciting. You're going to grab the mic. See that guy behind the camera over there? His name's Joe. I know, I knew Joe. He said, that's Joe, Joe Chupek. We call him Polish Joe. Polish Joe's running the camera. He's going to go five. That means you got five seconds. He's going to count you down. He's going to point at you. That means you're, that's your cue. It's called a cue. I didn't know what that was before that moment. It's a cue. I went, okay, I got that part. Cue, I get it. And he said, now, you're going to have 30 seconds or a minute or whatever it was. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell the viewer, you know, 
when AWA is coming to town, where they can buy the tickets. And it was always like four or five places to buy tickets. Now, there was no teleprompter. Vern didn't have a teleprompter. Right. I was expected to remember all this because after you've been doing it a while, that becomes pretty easy over right. time. But the first time, not, not so much. He's available at Music Land. You get them here. You get them here. And oh, by the way, this is a charity on the benefit of it. It's a benefit. And all the proceeds go to the. And now for the first man, let's bring in Larry Zabisco. So I'm setting the whole thing up. I'm telling them where the venue is, when they can buy the tickets, what time the doors open, all of that shit. Then I introduce Larry Zabisco. And now I'm supposed to remember the interview that, or the lines that I'm supposed to use to set Larry up for his promo. Oh, shit. I'm getting all this information and I'm still, I just remember Q. That's all I remembered. And Vern says, okay, kid, you got it? Everybody's standing around. I'm going to exaggerate and say 40, somewhere between 20 and 40, maybe 30, whatever it was. All these guys standing around and they're watching. You could have heard a pin drop. (laughs) Five, four, three, two, one. And Larry, shit. And the whole room busted out laughing. I didn't get a word out right. I just stepped all over myself before I was able to articulate three syllables strung together. It was just horrible. And it was a delay because nobody knew what to, how to react until Larry belly laughed like folded over like a book folded in half kicked by a mule folded in half laughing out loud and that was everybody else's cue to join in to the laugh choir and they did and they had a great time laughing at me and that was how my day started in it we did and we kept doing it and doing it and doing it till i could finally get through one or two in a row and they were like horrible they were so bad I was so horrible. I was scared to death and I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. And we got done with it that day and we had interviews the next night. Sergeant Slaughter stayed over. He said, okay, kid, come here. Let me, let's practice a little bit so we can get through tomorrow without having to be here all afternoon to do six promos. So I, I worked with Sergeant Slaughter that night and Brad Ringens stuck around for me. Um, I think Baron Von Roski might have uh, a few of the guys stuck around and I got to practice and I got better and better. And then the next day I kind of, I staggered through it like a, like a drunk coming out of a bar two o'clock in the morning, bouncing off the walls, but I got it done. And then they replaced me and they, they found somebody else. And that guy was worse than me, believe it or not. So ultimately they just, they kept trying me and I kept getting incrementally better each time. And I think Vern finally said, okay, screw it. He, he's not painful. So let's just keep him because they could afford me. They were paying me 600 bucks a week. They couldn't get anybody good for 600 bucks a week. I love the idea of everybody standing around laughing at you. And, uh, when of course I, when you I, do. well, he, I'm just saying it's, uh, it's a fun visual because this is a guy who starts a sentence. So I'm standing there looking cool as shit. <laughs> <laughs> you can use that anytime you tell a story ever in the future. So I'm standing there looking cool as shit with my freshly shaved ball. Wait, 
Tis the season for clean balls. Fa la 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 la. Our friends at Manscaped are helping you clear your driveway for safe travels this holiday season. From stocking stuffers to white elephants, Manscaped's products are at the top of every wish list. Grab some crop mops for your pops or the body buffer for the holiday lover. Win this year's white elephant gift and help all the men in your life go from eggnog to nice hog this December by going to manscaped.com and using the promo code 83 weeks. You'll get 20% off plus free shipping. Let me tell you, this is a pro tip. If you are shopping for a dude this holiday season, you want to talk about giving a gift that everybody's going to be talking about. You want a big pop? You want a big reaction? You want to look cool as shit? This checks all the boxes. Manscaped really is a one-stop shop for all of your holiday needs. They have the perfect gift in the Platinum Package 4.0, plus loads of little presents perfect for those stocking stuffers. What better holiday gift than giving someone the gift of good hygiene and a few laughs? Manscaped offers a handful of their liquid formulations. The shampoos, the body washes, the upstairs and downstairs deodorant. That's right, downstairs deodorant. Tony Schiavone's got it. Gels, exfoliants, absolutely everything you can need to keep it clean, Daddy-O. Don't let those chestnuts roast in the wrong boxers. <laughs> Give them a pair of Manscaped's boxers, especially made to keep that area cool and provide holiday comfort all year long. And now that you've gifted them the perfect privates, go beyond the groin with Manscaped's full-body product line. Does your dad have some nasty-ass nose hairs? Well, save his life with the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. The Shears 2.0 is the perfect nail kit. You got scissor clippers, tweezers, and a file for the traveling man. How about the new Preserve Cologne? It brings a uh, light, breezy, woodsy feel. Gives you that fresh tree scent even after Christmas is over. Are you still using your dirty-ass loofah? Well, let me introduce the Body Buffer. No, this isn't Buff Bagwell's yet, but it could be if you want to gift it to him. Loofahs actually hold bacteria from dead skin. Did you know that? Well, throw it out. Get rid of that old disgusting loofah. Get the body scrubber. It feels smoother, but it acts tougher. And lastly, top it all off with the crown jewel for your family jewels. You know the deal. The Lawnmower 4.0. It's got the the advanced skin safe technology. It's known to rock a microphone and keep easy ease. Old saggy balls. So smooth. Manscaped is here to make holiday shopping a blast by giving products that you'll love. And I'm telling you, it's going to make them laugh. Like, what did you get the guy in your life last year? Maybe it's an uncle or a cousin or your dad. Man, they're hard to buy for it. Let me tell you, that old, that old goat don't want ties. He don't want socks. He wants something that he's going to remember because he don't remember what you got him last year. Nobody will forget the time you gifted Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code 83weeks at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. The code is 83weeks. Manscaped, for a perfect gift that will be the holiday's biggest hit. Before, hey, First of all, bravo again. The best ad reads in the industry, no doubt. But before we go any further, I just want to shout out, because we're doing this for the very first time. A lot of our, our fans over there, family over at Ad Free Shows jumped in. So I want to say hi, just a couple of them. Eric Jones, Josh Henney, Nathan, Mitchell, Coach Rosie, RJ, Amy's here. She came to the Testicle Festival. That's awesome. We get like one or two women, you know, every once in a while. And I just love it when we do. Um, thank you all for doing this with us. This is kind of fun. Amy Vaughn's here. Hey, Amy! This is fun. I dig this. This is a different kind of energy. I don't know why. Well, yeah, you're you're performing for a crowd now. It's not just me anymore, right? We're we're expanding. 
Uh, it was just you and Larry though. Uh, Larry talks about how he was a pilot and used to fly to a lot of the shows and he would bring you along with him a lot. And is that sort of how you got into flying? Is that accurate? Um, it's not, it's not what created my interest in flying, but I had always been interested in learning how to fly. Another quick short story here. Um, my grandmother, when I was very young, used to take me to the cemetery where my grandfather was buried in Detroit. And she would visit his, his grave like every Sunday. So after church, um, my grandmother would take us over to this or me over to this uh, cemetery. And, you know, she'd spend some time with my grandfather there. And it was right next to the, I don't remember the name of the airport, but it wasn't the big airport in Detroit, but it was the second biggest one. A lot of private planes there. And after we'd visit the cemetery, my grandmother would take me over and just watch planes take off as a little kid. And that's what really got me interested. And this is where it gets really freaky. The story gets really weird. About the time I'm now, when my grandmother would take me over there, I was like five or six. right? And now fast forward, I'm in my early teens, 13, 14. And I kept having this reoccurring dream. Like it would happen once every two months, say half a dozen times a year where I'm in a private plane coming in on approach and the plane would get hung up in power lines. Kind of like we just saw that happen not too long ago on the news, but I, it just reoccurred dream all the time, all the time. And it's not like I was afraid to fly or anything, but I kept going, God, why do I keep having this weird dream? So now fast forward, I'm in my mid twenties, maybe. And there was a little airport not far from where we lived, and they were offering free your first flight free. So they take you up on a little private plane. They're trying to get you to sign up to, to be a pilot or learn get your pilot's license. But they offered your first flight free. It's at the Crystal Airport, Minneapolis. And I went, oh, I got to do this because I didn't have any money. I couldn't afford anything. But so I went up and I took that first flight. I went, okay, I got to do this someday. And then I kept trying to take flying lessons, but I, you know, here's the thing about flying. When you have the money, you don't have the time. And when you have the time, you don't have the money. It's always worked out that way for me anyway. So I, it took me a long time. And then I ended up working for Vern and I find out Larry's a pilot. And I told Larry how excited I was to learn about flying from him and ask him questions about it. And he offered to take me up and fly me around. So long story short, I've always had, always had at that point an interest in learning how to fly but Larry was the first time that I was able to just kind of go up in a private plane and just casually cruise around. Larry uh, comes back to work for WCW in December of 1990. He's going to stick around for the next 10 years. And you come shortly after 1991. And unfortunately the, uh, the AWA closes down. Larry finds himself teaming with double a Arn Anderson. He becomes part of the dangerous Alliance. Eventually he gets kicked out of that group and has a brief little baby face run. And then he transitions to being a host or color commentator. Uh, I think he took some time off for surgery, but when he comes back from that, man, now he's a talking head. Uh, what was your relationship like with Larry when you guys are, are both starting in WCW and he's trying to transition here? Are you guys still thick as thieves or, or has that relationship changed at all? Well, I, I don't want to suggest we were thick as thieves. I mean, we we're obviously very friendly and I always got to kick out of Larry and he, you know, Larry's a good, he's just a good dude. He's an easy guy to be around. He's, He's funny. He's got a great sense of humor. Uh, and again, doesn't take himself too seriously. He's pretty laid back. So I always enjoyed being around Larry, but we didn't hang out. 
you know, that type of thing. Um, and actually, it, Larry was the reason, because I didn't know anything about WCW, truth be known. I didn't get TBS on my cable platform where I lived in Minneapolis. At the time. I didn't, I'd heard about it, obviously, but I didn't watch it. And when Larry left, Larry saw the same handwriting on the wall that I did. Larry just left. He had somewhere to go. You know, he got a gig in, in WCW. And it, when I heard that Larry got a job there and was doing okay there, I went, oh, I, I need to check out this WCW thing. And I, I had an agent at the time, a talent agent. Her name was Stevie Kozachok. Uh, she handled all my Target and Dayton's and all my print modeling and commercial work. She was that you mean, agent. You mean when you'd be standing there looking cool as shit? Yeah, she she helped me get jobs looking cool as shit. We've seen some of them. I met Mrs. B, you know, when I was a model. That's how I met Mrs. B. Anyway, I went to Stevie. I said, Stevie, I I need to try to get a gig at this company called WCW. Can you help me? Because I didn't know who to contact. I didn't want to contact Larry and ask him for help. So I cut together a demo, a demo tape of some of the work that I had done for Vern. Because at that time, I was you know I was doing ESPN five days a week. So I was kind of out there a little bit and then had that ESPN credibility. So I cut together a, a three or four minute demo tape, gave it to Stevie Kozachuk, and Stevie sent it on to Jim Hurd. And that's how I ended up getting the call back. So I know there's a lot of different stories and different people take credit for the reason why I was hired in WCW in the first place and whatever. Um, but that's exactly how that process happened. And then once I got to WCW, one of the first person, first people I talked to once I got to the to the venue was in Anderson, South Carolina. Larry came up to me and Larry said, "Hey man, good to see you. You're gonna love it here. This place is awesome." He said, "Keep your head down, your mouth shut, and you'll have a payday for life." That was his advice to me, because there were so it was so many nobody really knew what was going on. They were just bringing in people and signing people to contracts, and it was. The, the the feeling was because it was Turner Broadcasting that the money would be there forever, and you didn't really, you weren't going to be held accountable for whatever reason. And uh, Larry's advice was, man, keep your head down, your mouth shut, and you'll have a job for life. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Larry has uh, been out front about saying he got more money as a color commentator than he did even as a wrestler. And part of his gimmick here is he starts to refer to himself as the living legend. Do you think he enjoyed being or that transition? I mean, was his passion in the ring when this is still a, a way to earn a living and, and stay around the business or did he actually maybe enjoy this as much or more than being in the ring? You know, I've never met a wrestler yet that I've worked with who, when it was time to leave the ring, I've never met anybody yet where that was an easy transition. Now, if there's an injury or something like that, that kind of changes it. Sure. But everybody I've ever worked with is, they're happy. 
And I think Larry was happy to be a color cop. He was very good at it. And he had fun doing it, which is why he was good at it, because it was fun for him. Um, but there was always that part of Larry that really wanted to be in the ring that still felt like he had something to prove. And that, and this is going to sound, I, this is not, Larry never said this. So don't, you know, people listening or writing about shit and lifting certain things I say out of this podcast and putting them into their own sentence and social media and turning shit around. Larry never said he was as good or better than anybody else in the ring while he was a color commentator. He believed that. He just did. And he was great. And there's that time when, when your time in the ring is up for whatever reason, because somebody else thinks it's up or maybe you do, or an injury does whatever. There's there's that transition where deep in your brain, you still think in your heart, you still feel like you could go out there and prove a point. And I always had, there was always that undercurrent with Larry where no matter how much fun he was having, how much money he was making, he really wanted to get back in the ring. Just really did. I want to ask about something that has been a, a criticism of Larry over the years because he was so closely removed from being in the ring. Uh, it's been said by a lot of folks that perhaps Larry got himself over at the expense of the talent in the ring. Did you ever feel that way? Um, not at the time, right? But if I think back, and again, because my perspective is so much different now than it was then, right? Um, I guess then I I didn't feel that way. Now, Larry, I did, you know, I was, because I worked with Larry. I spent a lot of time with Larry doing, you know, I, I did color commentary with Larry in, in AWA. I, I knew Larry really well. And Larry loved to put himself over. But he was also a heel character. And that's yeah. kind of what heel characters do. So it didn't really, I, I didn't find it awkward or too much. Now, looking back, if Larry would have been a little bit better, because he was good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not being critical of Larry was, I think, probably underrated, one of the better color commentators of his era in terms of his ability to tell a story and to make the audience believe and so forth. Um but I think Larry could have been a little bit better at putting other people over and not spending quite so much time on his own character. But that's true with a lot of people, brother. Yes. Uh, that's true with a lot of folks that still do color commentator and come color come easy for me to say. You can tell I don't do it anymore. Color commentary and play by play. Well, uh, listen, since you're, it's apparent based on the way the things you say on strictly business and on social media that, you're all out of give a fuck. So is there any color commentator that comes to mind when you think of someone who tries to get themselves over at the expense of the talent today? Mm, you know, I don't want to do that. I, okay. yes, but I, I just, I'm so tired of the negativity and the just, ugh. and I know when I say things because of the way I say them, because I am blunt and you know, the fucks I have left to give are, pretty minimal at this point in my life Few and far between yeah few and far between but at the same time i don't want that to be what this show is all about or what people think i'm all about so i'm going to try not to say too much negative stuff about people unless it's absolutely required but i think it happens and beyond you know do i think that there's anybody out there who spends so much time putting themselves over at the expense of talent it's not as much that as i just don't think that there's 
a lot of great color commentators out there that focus on getting the talent over and the story over. And it's not because of any fault necessarily of theirs. I just think that that's the trend. You know, play-by-play and color has changed a lot over the years. And I don't hear what I consider. And again, it's personal preference. You know, just because it's my personal preference doesn't mean it's the right way to do it. It's just what I happen to enjoy. I love a traditional play-by-play person who is is explaining everything that's going on as if the person at home, instead of watching, was listening. Right. They treat it almost like radio. I love that because it gives me, it brings me the feeling like I'm in the room. And then when you have a color commentator who has credibility, meaning he or she has been in that ring, they have been in those situations. So when the play-by-play and color commentator are covering the action, I'm getting the play-by-play person describing everything, including the smell of the popcorn in the arena, right? In the feeling of, of amongst the audience and bringing me there. And I'm listening to my color, the color commentator who is now allowing me inside of the mind of the two people or four people, whatever it is in the ring and explaining to me what that person or person is doing, thinking, and why they're doing the things that they're doing. That's just another way of making me feel like I'm there as opposed to what we hear today. And I just don't think we have that same traditional approach to color and play by play. Can Jim Ross do it? Jim Ross almost invented it in wrestling. Yes. Can Tony Schiavone as play by play guy do it? Absolutely. He can. I used to love listening and still do love listening to Tony when he, when he's on the mic. Um, But I think the style and the presentation today has evolved or devolved, take your pick, uh, to an extent where people just don't do that anymore. Well, let me say this. If you're looking to get yourself over it with a great gift for the dog parent in your life, let me ask it a better way. Do you want to give your favorite pup parent the perfect gift? Gift them an Embark dog DNA test. Embark allows dog owners to learn more about their dog's health insights and their breed mix with the highest rated dog DNA test on the market. And right up top, I'd like to thank EmbarkVet.com for supporting 83 Weeks. So go to EmbarkVet.com to get free shipping and save $65 with the promo code 83weeks. You see, Embark is this incredible tool for dog owners that screens more than 215 genetic health risks across 350 breeds. That's more breeds tested than any other dog DNA test. And I want to go ahead and explain that 61% of pet owners plan to adjust their dog's routine or feel more prepared about how to be a good pet parent after testing with Embark. So if you do get some sort of a serious health result, Embark will reach out to you and one of their experts will walk you through it. Eric, I don't know that anybody loves their dog as much as you do. How exciting is EmbarkVet.com? I, you're right. I mean, I won't say I love my dog more than anybody else loves their dog. That's not fair or true. But um, yeah, my dog is a big part of our lives, not just me, but this is me as well. And Now, I have a purebred. She's an Australian cattle dog. And I went through the 
entire process with Embark, and within about a week or less, I got back all kinds of DNA information about my dog. Now, I already knew my dog was a purebred Australian cattle dog, and I knew certain characteristics about that breed because I've done a lot of research. But there are certain health conditions that that breed of dog can be susceptible to. And that's true with all breeds. You know, well, mostly true with most breeds where a certain type of breed is at high risk for a certain type of disease or condition based on that dog's DNA. So when I got my report back, and I mean, it's like pages of information, it showed me where all of these critical um, conditions, diseases, conditions, whatever, um, and, and, and whether dog, my dog was susceptible based on her DNA so that you can, if you see something pop up and go, oh, well, my dog is susceptible to this, I'm going to send this information to my vet. And my vet can then tell me, yes, you should, we should take a look or here's how you treat that or maybe some medication, whatever. It's just a way you can have more complete information about the overall health of your dog. I do the same thing for myself, not so much in a DNA test, but with blood work where I get my blood uh, drawn four times a year and I go through everything, cholesterol, PSA, all the different stuff. There's like 30 or 40 different things and I keep track of it each time so that I can see if there's any changes in my blood chemistry. Well, this is kind of the same thing only for DNA and for your dog. So if something pops up and you want to get, get ahead of it, that information is right there. That's a really valuable thing for people that love their dogs. So much so that I sent um, the breeder of my dog her name is Kim. I, I said, hey, you might, because she's, you know, she's a very, she shows dogs. She's a very active breeder. And I sent her the DNA information and she was blown away and asked me uh, to put her in contact with the people over at Embark because she wanted to do that on, on all of her dogs so that when she ends up selling those dogs, she can sell that dog with a complete DNA profile as well. So I thought that's pretty cool. It's really cool. I want to remind everybody that EmbarkVet.com is found to be the most trusted dog DNA test based on a blind study of over 2,000 dog owners. And you can even do something cool with this, like the relative finder feature. Yeah, that's right. You can find your dog's relatives from close to distant. This is so cool. And, and I, I'm a, a big fan of this product. I know you're going to love it too. Eric loves it. I love it. And knowing your dog better means you can spend more time together when you unlock their breed mix and you screen for these genetic health risks and you discover their family tree uh, it's it's such a fascinating process and it's so easy it's simple you swab your pup with the cheek that we're, we're going to send you a little cheek swab and then you mail it back in the provided prepaid return envelope and bam a few weeks later your dog's results will be ready and embark can help you and your vet put together even a, a personalized care plan for your dog I want to remind everybody, this is a big deal. We've got a special offer for you. 72% of pup parents are puzzled when it comes to their dog's breed. It's time to end those guessing games. Give the dog lover in your life something they won't expect. The chance to decode their dog. It's the perfect time to shop for the Embark dog DNA test. Right now, Embark has a limited time offer on their breed and health kit and purebred kit for 83 weeks listeners. Just go to EmbarkVet.com for free shipping and save 75 bucks with the promo code 83 weeks. So visit EmbarkVet.com, use the promo code 83 weeks, and you'll save 65 bucks. 
And if I, if I may, Conrad, just a, as a perfect example, Zoe Lopez, who, who's with us here, uh, part of the Ad Free Show's family, had to put down his bull mastiff recently, according to what he just There we go. Due to uh, some conditions that he was susceptible. That's a perfect example of the kind of thing that perhaps, you never know, but perhaps you could get ahead of. So the more information you have about your dog's DNA, the better off you are. Zoe, sorry for your, that loss, brother. I I know how much that hurts. It's you you lost a companion. I feel I feel bad for you, man. Thoughts with you. Uh, you and Larry Zabisco worked a lot together on shows like WCW Pro and WCW Power Hour throughout 1993 and 1994. And Larry said you were a good listener, Eric. And uh, Larry would always try to help you out and feed you ideas. What was Larry teaching you? Because he's clearly been on the inner workings of the wrestling business a lot longer than you have at this point. What was that process like of you guys? working these syndicated WCW shows together and maybe him trying to bring you along a little bit. You know, I, I can't tell you anything specifically of, you know, there were no aha moments and where Larry, you know, if you're too young to remember the old series Kung Fu with, uh, whatever his name was, Kane, whatever, can't remember the star's name, but there's a scene in that series where was, the, the Shaolin monk goes up to Kwai Chang Kane, who is the, character opens up his hand and there's a pebble in his hand and then Kwai Che Kane reaches it, snatches the pebble out of his master's hand and his pastor looks up, his master looks up at him and says, time for you to leave. Meaning, you're ready. And there was none of those, right? There was no Kwai Che Kane Kung Fu master moments, but it was kind of a continual, you know, reinforcement when things were going right or i did something that was positive or adequate maybe and and there were times when we we'd stop down and said hey, let's do that again and here's why um and i think it's you know it's repetition like anything else in life it's just reps and doing it over and over and over and getting a feel and finding out what works in my case what worked for me uh, but also in the opinion of somebody like larry kind of got the job done too so uh, it it was very valuable. You know, I learned a lot working, you know, Vern, Vern taught me a lot. Um, Mike Shields really, really taught me a lot. Um, and Mike came up with, you know, Jerry Jarrett uh, in Memphis. So Mike had been around for a minute. Uh, but Larry did as well. And, I, you know, Lee Marshall, you know, everybody I worked with was able to kind of help me in one way, shape or form. What would you say were Larry's strengths or weaknesses uh, behind the mic, in the booth, whatever you want to call it? He's funny. He had a sense of humor. And when Larry would put the headsets on, and this is what I think one of the reasons why I liked working with Larry and listening to Larry even when I wasn't working with him as much as I did, is he wasn't, I hate to say it, 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 if he was a wrestler's version of a method actor, meaning once he put those headsets on, he believed. He believed everything that he was seeing. He 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 treated it with respect. He made you. He wanted to make you believe that what you were watching was real. And I like that. I it just made. It just made it more enjoyable for me. And it made me more enjoyable for me to work with Larry. Cause I, once you, it's hard to 
describe it. But what for me, and it's one of the reasons I actually enjoy doing play by play is probably as much more than I enjoy performing on camera uh, in the ring is because once you allow yourself to get into those moments and you it's real in your mind in those moments, you know what you're doing. Don't get me wrong. You know what you're doing, but you forget about all that and you just get sucked into what you're seeing and you treat it as if it's real. It kind of becomes real. It's a weird thing. It was for me. And I missed that. I enjoyed that part of it. And it comes across. And Larry was always very believable. You know, he treated the he treated what he saw with respect and he tried to get people over. So I I, I enjoyed Larry. I enjoyed listening to him. Now the uh the real meat of the matter. Did your relationship change when you moved into an executive role? I mean, we just started this show talking about how you're a sales guy and your first time working quote unquote in the wrestling business is with him. And you're so bad at it that he can't help, but laugh. And that (laughs) breaks the ice a little bit. And he sort of brought you along a little bit in your early days. And then even in WCW, but it feels like just now you've passed him and now you're the boss and maybe you're not his boss specifically, but you're certainly moving up the food chain, so to speak. Does that change your relationship with him at all? Do you think it really didn't with Larry? Um, I, not that I could sense. I mean, maybe Larry felt differently, um, but I couldn't sense it. We still laughed and joked. I think if if anything, we probably spend it. We started to spend a little bit more time talking, only because Larry felt like because we had a previous relationship when we you know, we were friends. Um, that he could share his thoughts with me perhaps more freely than he could with Jim Hurd or Kip Fry or Bill Watts or any of the other people that preceded me. Um, because we did have that relationship as you described, you know, he, he was there when I couldn't hit my, my ass with both hands and a GPS, um, and, and taught me a lot and, and helped me. Um, so I think he probably felt like, Hey, you know, I'm going to run this idea by Eric, or I'm going to ask him why we're not doing this instead of that. And so there was probably more communication as a result, but it didn't really, at least not that I could tell. It didn't really change anything. When nitro moves to two hours in may of 96, Larry gets a bigger spot in the limelight. He's doing the first hour with Tony Schiavone and later Mike Tanay. What did Larry add to the product? with the move to two hours credibility. And that's what we wanted, you know, and I know this is somewhat controversial, you know, I'm famous and I did say it, I'm not denying. I said it, you know, about our, our announce teams being too Southern and that's because of inherently where TBS came from a Southern regional territory and WCW was in effect, you know, what used to be the NWA or Jim Crockett promotions, whatever. And all of that had a very Southern regional feel to it. And when I took over, I wanted, I wanted our not now seemed to be almost agnostic. It meaning I didn't want anybody to know what part of the country they were from. I didn't want anybody coming in with a strong New York accent and accent. I, you know, I wanted just like, you know, when you go to a city and you watch the local news, nobody has an accent. doesn't matter where you're at. If I come down to Alabama and hang out with you and, and, and Megan and your mom and dad and everybody, 
um, and I watch your local news, I don't detect an accent. But if I go right. to a restaurant down the street, I detect an accent. And I kind of wanted the same thing with our announce team because I was trying to appeal to a broader national audience and kind of try to shake the regional, southern regional territory image that we had. And Larry was able to do that. And as well as bring a tremendous amount of talent as a color commentator. And I liked his style for all the reasons we've already talked about. He had a lot of credibility. He made me believe. And I wanted our audience to believe. So Larry's first show, his first Nitro, is actually the show where Scott Hall appears. And boy, it is amazing when you think about what they're going to do together and what their real life relationship is that when Scott Hall's coming down the steps here in May of 96, also Larry Zabisco's first nitro nice little trivia bit there. Is it not? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's another thing. I, I didn't think about it then. Cause then you're caught up in the moments. You know, you're thinking about what, what you're going to do next day or what you're going to do in the next hour Things are moving fast. You know, I didn't really have time to sit back and go, wow, it's kind of cool. Larry Zabisco, Scott Hall, AWA, here we are. This, I mean, I didn't think about it then, but I think about it a lot now. I, I just had an opportunity to wrestle for our friend Luke Gallows uh, and, and a, a great group of people down in uh, Dublin, Georgia. And we drove from Atlanta right by that venue, you know, in Macon where Scott Hall made that appearance. And the NWO began that's where it all started um and i did think about it a lot and i thought about larry and i thought about scott and all that so i think about it more now than i than i did then for sure well something else that larry deserves the credit for that you and i maybe once upon a time would have said i don't remember that but we actually discovered it through this process of recording these episodes for 83 weeks we watched some early nitros from back in in, in those days and last year we heard Larry Zabisco actually refer to these outsiders as the new world order before they're actually called the new world order. And you have even admitted at the time, I think you didn't, you thought maybe you came up with that idea, but maybe he did sort of put it in your subconscious mind. Larry Zabisco is the guy who names the dog on NWO. Is he not? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. And for years, I would tell the story, and I it's the same story I'll tell today. Uh, when I w- was in the basically a janitor closet with Hulk Hogan, giving going through Hulk's promo because we didn't I didn't give Hulk a script. He didn't like scripts. Um, we just walk and talk through his promo, and I'd give him bullet points, and he'd you know we he'd give it back to me, and I'd maybe add a little or whatever. We just worked through it. And that's the way Hulk always worked with Gene Okerlund and it's the way he Hulk liked to work. So I, I was in that closet and I'm giving, you know, I'm, I'm giving Hulk his promo. And in the middle of giving him that promo, I say, and then you say, this is the new world order of professional wrestling. Now I've told this story before we found out that Larry um, used it the night before, whenever. And people say, well, where did you get that new world order from? And I always said, I don't know. It just rolled off my tongue. I had right. no idea where it came from. It's not like I read a book. I'm not a, you know, Illuminati guide and none of that shit. It just came out and it worked. And then whatever it was years later, we're going back and we're watching. And it was Larry Zabiska who bef- the day before, whatever it was, 
use the term new world order. And then the 24 hours later, it rolls off my tongue. And I didn't consciously steal it from Larry and not give credit to Larry. I just didn't know where I'd heard it or read it. It just rolled. And here we go on 83 weeks going through a show. We went, wait a minute. That actually happened before I gave Hulk Hogan the promo. And yes, Larry, I, who else are you going to give credit to? Kind of obvious. No, I totally agree. Uh, and let me tell you this. It's obvious that we're wasting money. If you're, if you've got subscriptions like I do, you don't use them all. I have to admit when the pandemic first started, my wife and I felt like we had reached the end of Netflix. We signed up for everything else. And in the process, of course, as things got back to normal, we stopped using all that stuff, but we kept paying for it. But I didn't know that until I got rocket money, formerly known as true bill. Let me ask you, are you wasting money on subscriptions? Like 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about. Maybe for you, it's an unused Amazon Prime account or maybe a Hulu account that never gets streamed. Well, there's a great app that helps me track all of my expenses. And because of it, I no longer waste money on subscriptions I don't even use. You may have heard of it. It's called Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. But what's staggering to me is I just thought, I don't know, it's like $80 a month, maybe. No, it was over $200 a month. And it feels like that's pretty common for everyone else I've talked to. That's right. You could be wasting hundreds of dollars a month on subscriptions you don't even know about anymore. I recommend Rocket Money. This is an app that shows you all your subscriptions in one place, and it cancels for you whatever you still don't want. Rocket Money can even help you find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. Maybe you could find out you've been double charged for a subscription. That happened in my house. Megan signed up for Hulu. So did I. Or we're only using it once. We don't need two of them. To cancel a subscription, all you got to do is press cancel. Boom. Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash 83 weeks. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash 83 weeks. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash 83 weeks. So uh, another interview that we got from Larry has a quote about you quote, Eric did a hell of a job. I mean, he did a great job and got heat. And in a time when you didn't have dirt sheets and all the blabbers and all this and that people were driving all over the security rails, trying to punch Eric out. He's got real heat and he did a hell of a job. And the secret was he was a smart guy, smart enough to listen to me. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That is the most Larry Zabisco response of all time. Is it not? Yeah, it is. And and I don't know where this is leading, but Larry, like, I don't know, three or four other people that I can probably think of if I think hard enough have all one way, shape or form, try to take credit for coming up with the NWO idea. Listen, I did listen to Larry. Uh, When it came to commentary, I listened to Larry a lot. Uh, When it came to storyline, I listened but there was, I can't say, I can't think of anything that I took away from Larry from a creative perspective that I didn't either already know or had already begun to understand. Uh, but when it came to naming the NWO, yes, indeed, I was smart enough evidently to to listen to Larry and file it into my subconscious and then steal it appropriately. Steal it appropriately. I love it. Uh, over time, of course, the NWO gets bigger and bigger. They're going to commandeer the announce booth. A few times, Larry reluctantly leaves the booth. Uh, but it, it's during this time 
where because he's not just running away like Bobby Heenan, the crowd starts to get behind him a little bit. When did you start to take notice of Larry's reaction from the crowd? Immediately, you know, I mean, and what of what somebody told me once, I, I wish I could remember this, but Larry was so good at being that guy that's, it's like an old Western. The best part of a gunfight is before everybody, before anybody pulls their guns because everybody's reaching. It's the anticipation, right? And you could see with Larry in a gunfight on, on camera, on, te- on television, the old West style. Now it's different. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Everybody's like got the guns turned sideways and all that silly shit. But if you look at a, at a Western, the most dramatic moment in a, in a Western is when you see these two gunfighters walk out into the street, the clock cuts up or the camera cuts up to the clock. That's about to strike noon or whatever. Just all this anticipation. You can almost feel it. You can almost smell the sweat and the dust in the street, hear the burrs going by. And you look down and these two guys are staring each other down and they're slowly reaching for that gun. That drama and anticipation that you see in an old Western gunfight in a movie or a television series is the same element of anticipation that works in wrestling. I love the buildup. I love the moment right before the explosion, the explosion. And Larry was master at that. He could start out and you just see it building in his face. It's slowly, you could start, slowly start to see Larry starting to get to that point where he knew he shouldn't jump off the stage. He shouldn't throw down those cans because he's not a wrestler anymore, damn it. And he doesn't want to get fired, but he can barely take it. He cannot take anymore. And you, you could just feel that build and the audience would get with that. That's an art. That's psychology. As opposed to going, damn it, throwing off your head here and running to the ring. You know, that's there's no anticipation. There's no buildup. There's no high noon moment. And Larry was a master at high noon moments. And you wanted to see him get in the ring. Sometimes you do that for weeks at a time. You know, just tease that he's just, I can't take it anymore. Until he finally, you know, would explode. And, and that's psychology. And you notice it. You can't help but feel it. Was he telling you he wanted to get back in the ring? Oh, yeah. Okay. Did you have any concerns about, you know, his health or ability or age? Oh, no, no. Larry was always healthy. I mean, I didn't know Larry to ever be injured. Maybe he was, and I just wasn't aware of it. But uh, no, he was, Larry was always in great shape. And and he was not injury prone. He was was built to be a wrestler. Uh, Strong knees and joints and shoulders and elbows and all that. Um. No, I wasn't concerned about his health. I just was concerned. I didn't want to put him in the ring just to make him happy. Right. And I was very happy with him on the announced team. Right. So my only concern was not deluding him as an announcer by satisfying the need he had to get back in the ring and prove he could still do it. So during one instance, um, and I guess we should mention it. it feels like on every show as the crowd would start to get behind him and they start the chance of Larry, Larry. He uh, takes the headsets off, turns around, stands up, acknowledges them. I mean, that was pretty cool. And it shows you that, Hey man, our announcer is, is over with this audience. 
I thought it added to it. I didn't think it took a, it took away from it. And had he stopped doing it or, or, or not ever stood up and done it, then they wouldn't have continued. But when they do, it becomes a thing where the crowd wants to be almost interactive, right, Eric? So it's like, let's see if we can get him to do it. If we all chant, and then he does it, and it's like, yay, we did that. It was interactive with the crowd, even as an announcer. And I thought that was a, a nice little touch that he did. Yeah, and again, it's the way he did it. It's the way he, it's not what he did, it's the way he did it that made it work. There was one funny moment I saw January 13th, 1997. He pops off to you. If you keep making bad decisions, you'll be mowing Vern Gagne's lawn again. Now that's a deep inside cut from your, your shared time together in the AWA, but longtime wrestling fans had to get a chuckle out of that. Yeah, they did. And it's funny because everybody thought that one of the reasons, you know, a lot of people, and I don't know if they're just trolling or whatever at the time, they didn't know what trolling was, but you know, there were people who said, who actually believed that the reason I was able to get the job in the AWA is because at one point I was Vern's lawn maintenance guy. Um, but if you would have ever seen the home that Vern lived in, you would know that one man could not mow that lawn. <laughs> <laughs> that took a team. <laughs> well, you know, uh, the same could be said about Larry. You know, some people wanted to be champion so bad they married the boss's daughter. I mean, yeah, that, yeah, that's just kind of an art form. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Uh, so, uh, later in the year, July 7th, we see really something for the first time happening that makes us think maybe this is going somewhere. Larry refuses to leave the announce booth when Scott Hall and Randy Savage come out to take over and Larry nearly gets into it when Scott Hall throws his shirt at Larry. So we're slowly, but surely starting to set up Scott Hall versus Larry Zabisco in a bit of a feud. And it's been said over the years that Scott Hall felt like he really owed a debt of gratitude to Larry Zabisco. I guess when uh, Scott Hall was a young performer, uh, he, uh, he allowed Larry Zabisco or Larry allowed him to not beat him. We'll go to a full time limit draw at a time when the Scott Hall character really needed a win and was doing mostly enhancement work. That was a big moment for Scott Hall personally. And he never forgot it. Is that the way you remember hearing it? Yes. And it's also, you know, I, I recently did, um, a documentary for WWE on Scott Hall and the NWO. And in that, I don't want to give away too much of it. It's not my place, but I was asked about, you know, Scott's legacy and Scott was a very kind and loyal person. He had issues, but the one thing about Scott is he was loyal. And that's a quality that I kind of admire. It's rare. And that's a perfect example. You know, Scott remembered that Larry helped him when he needed help. And now here we are all these years later, Scott had gone on to WWE and became Razor Ramon and a huge star there. And now he's in WCW and the NWO's taken off and it was time to pay it back. And Scott would have been adamant 
had I not agreed to go along with that. He would have been adamant about that because he's just that guy. And Scott knew good stories. Scott knew that he and Larry could look, it wasn't going to like main event Starcade or anything like that, but it's a damn good story. They had a great history and great chemistry and, and they both had amazing amount of talent. On July 28th, on this uh, edition of Nitro, you're going to interrupt Shivani, Mike Tanay, and Bobby Heenan uh, for the Giants match with the great Muda. And Heenan and, and Tanay leave, uh, but you get Tony to stay. And after the Giant wins, Larry comes out to the broadcast booth and gets in your face, Eric, and says, You have no authority and to get out of the broadcast position. And you and uh, Larry get into a bit of a scuffle. And Larry drags you to the ring and into the hands of the giant for a mighty choke slam. Uh, did you ever imagine that this would lead to a match with you and Larry, or is this just more about the NWO and Larry? No, it started out. I think it's just, it was just a spot. It was just a moment. You know, Larry was starting to get some momentum behind him and he was, you know, had an amazing amount of credibility as an announcer at this point. It was just a spot. And I think it was, as a result of that moment and the reaction to it, somewhere along the line, we went, Hey, I got an idea. Yeah. Maybe this will work. That's probably how it happened. By the way, I want to give a shout out to uh, Eddie Prather. Eddie, what's going on? I want to give a shout out to everybody here that's joining us. I'd really love to, but uh, I can't. But for everybody that's here watching us live, I really appreciate it. And I'm having fun watching your comments. So if I seem distracted, I am, but it's fun. We're, uh, we're adding all kinds of perks for adfreeshows.com. It doesn't get any earlier than real time. Let's talk about this choke slam. You've, uh, in 1996, took the jackknife power bomb. Now in 1997 here, taking a, a choke slam. You took your fair share of bumps in WCW. Where did the choke slam rank? Um, it was probably one of the most interesting cause I was so high up in the air. I'd never yeah. been picked up and held up that high by another human being, but it was honest to goodness. It was like maybe falling off the couch. I mean, it was so easy. Paul white was so freaking strong. Now granted, I probably only weighed about 200 pounds at the time. Probably not even that probably about a buck 90. So I mean, I wasn't like a wrestler. I was on the small side, but Still, 200 pounds of live weight. It's not like a 200-pound weight. It's 200 pounds of body. And, to, and, and I, you know, I wasn't a professional wrestler, so I didn't make it any easier on Paul because uh, I didn't know how. And we didn't have to practice it. Paul said, no, I'll get you up. I said, sure, you want me to, you know, figure out how to, you know, kind of use my legs or whatever? <laughs> Don't worry about it. I got you. And to be snatched up by another human being, Without any help, really, the only thing I remembered was to tuck my chin. That's the only thing I remembered. And I remember going up because it's a cool sensation, especially when you're looking up at the lights. I remember going up, and I, I remember Paul holding me there for what felt like 45 minutes. It maybe was a half a second or a second, but it felt like forever. Cause I didn't know what was going to happen when he put me back down or threw me down or set me down. But Paul put his giant mitt to his right around my tailbone. And just, he made it look like he was going to put me right through the ring. 
but he literally set me down like a loaf of bread. It was crazy. Didn't feel a thing. Did not feel a thing, but it was all because of Paul, not because I knew what I was doing. It's fun. This idea, I've always been curious. Hey, we're going to choke slam the boss. Is this, is this a, I mean, you could see how the guys would have fun with that. Hey, what if we wrote that we put Eric Bischoff through a table? What if we choke? What if we set that motherfucker on fire? Like, is this a Kevin Sullivan idea or is this you saying, Hey, what if? No, by this point, what years is 97. I had a fair amount of heat and I wanted to pay it off. I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted to give it away. I wanted, I wanted Paul white to get over. Not that he needed me to get over, but certainly didn't hurt at that point for him. I wanted him to, to do that, to make that happen for him. And I, it's like having, it's like having more money than you really need. And you want to share it with the right people for the right reasons. And at that point in time, not to, and I was like, I put myself forward, but I just had so much heat that you, you kind of wanted to share it. And the truth is I like, I've always liked contact. You know, it's one of the things I, I do miss about, you know, my youth, I guess. I was, I was always, it was either amateur wrestling, boxing, kickboxing. Um, I just, I've always liked contact. And at that point in time, I was still in reasonable shape. And I love going, I love the adrenaline. I loved it when Kevin Nash powerbombed me the year before. I, that was a freaking rush. And so when I had an opportunity to do something like this, I, I just liked it. So between liking the contact and the physicality and wanting to share the heat, so to speak, it was a natural thing. Well, I'll tell you, it's uh, it's a shame that you didn't have athletic greens back then, because if you're going to get choke slam from 10 feet in the air, you're going to need all the help you can get. I actually started taking AG1 at the start of the pandemic. Uh, my wife found out about it long before they were advertising here on 83 Weeks, and she wanted us to do it every day to help optimize our immune system. Well, it worked. We also experienced better gut health, more energy, and she knew that I hated taking pills or vitamins, and if she wanted me to do it, it actually needed to taste good. AG1 checked all those boxes. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, all to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, your aging, all the things. And it's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. It's also lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto or paleo or vegan or dairy-free or gluten-free, there's less than one gram of sugar. There's no GMOs. There's no nasty chemicals. There's no artificial anything. And it still tastes good. It's going to support better sleep quality and recovery. It's going to support mental clarity and alertness. And it costs you less than $3 a day. Eric and I think of it as like a all-in-one nutritional insurance. And here's the deal. You don't just have to take our word for it. Athletic Greens has more than 7,000 five-star reviews. I don't want to just gloss over that. Think about the last time you left a review. Man, I I couldn't tell you the last time I left a review. It must be like the best product ever for me to go out of my way, sit down at my computer, search out the review site, and write it out. Over 7,000 folks have loved AG1 that much, and you will too. And right now, it's time to reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, 
just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you got to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash 83 weeks. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash 83 weeks to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. AG1 has been a regular part of your life for a long time now. Isn't that right, Eric? It has. I started, uh, I don't know, it's been a long time. I first heard about it listening to Joe Rogan's podcast. And, you know, Mrs. B and I are you know, both doing everything we can to stay as healthy as we can for as long as we can. So we, and especially Mrs. B, she does a lot of research. And we heard about it. We looked it up and went, hmm, that looks like pretty good stuff. Uh, Mrs. B has been studying nutrition now really for 30 years. You know, and, and she's really, really knowledgeable. And when she went through the ingredient list and all of the probiotics and all of everything that's in AG1, she said, yeah, you should try that. And did. You know, six months before they became a sponsor or more. And now wouldn't start my day without it, really. Go out of your way. Give it a shot. You're going to love it. It's athleticgreens.com forward slash 83 weeks. Speaking of giving things a shot, uh, you evidently think there's money to be made here with you and Larry Zabisco. A week later, after this choke slam, you come out and do a promo and you tell JJ Dillon to tell Larry, quote, if he ever, ever lays another finger on me again, I'm going to take this left foot. And I'm going to kick him right between the eyes. JJ laughs and leaves the ring. And, uh, at fall brawl 97 in September, Larry's doing commentary. And during the Scott Hall and Randy Savage match where they're taking on Luger and DDP, Larry comes to the ring and takes over as referee. When Hall has knocked out two other referees at this point, Larry does a fast count here and Luger pins Hall to cost Hall and Savage the match. Uh, this feels like it starts as maybe Scott Hall and Larry Zabisco, but then it goes Larry Zabisco and Eric Bischoff. And now we're back to Scott Hall, Larry Zabisco. Did it ever even cross your mind? We know eventually you couldn't help it. You wanted to beat Ric Flair at Starcade. You wanted to win the hardcore title from Terry Funk. Eventually you can't help yourself, but was it ever even considered Maybe we do a clash of the champions or a pay-per-view with Larry Zabisco versus Eric Bischoff. No. Okay. This leads to, uh, Scott Hall. <laughs> That's one of those, it's one of those going back to one of our first pay-per-views and you asked me a question. I went, mm, no, uh, uh, listen, Bruce does it to me all the time. Now I, I know you, I mean, listen, I'll just, I'll do it with a broomstick. If you need me to, it's fine. No, I'm just, no, I was actually, I'm trying to think, why wouldn't we have done that? What was, and I was trying to trying to recall because it wasn't considered, and I I honestly don't know why. I'm, I can only guess. And again, it was me trying to keep Larry out of the mix and out of the main story, and behind the booth. But Larry and I, you know, wouldn't have diluted Larry as much in my opinion, or wouldn't, wouldn't have diluted the NWO as much. So that's probably why, but I, 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 I couldn't testify to it in court. Eventually we do get, uh, Scott Hall versus Lex Luger at Halloween Havoc with Larry as the special guest referee. Uh, this is going to happen at Halloween Havoc. Lex Luger gets the win in 14 minutes and 35 seconds. And of course you're involved 
Hall originally wins the match in 1239 with the outsider's edge, but Zabisco has the match continue after seeing the replay footage on the big screen of six kicking Luger in the head when Eric Bischoff was distracting Larry Zabisco. After the match, Zabisco catches six and a choke sleeper, legit injuring him before Hall and Bischoff double team Zabisco with Bischoff eventually putting one foot on Zabisco's chest as Hall counts to three. I like that we weave you back into the story here. Were you having the time of your life here? Halloween Havoc, Las Vegas, you're firmly kicking Vince McMahon's ass, and now you're getting to do some fun, creative in-ring stuff too? Boy, was I ever. I was having I was having the time of my life. <laughs> it was awesome. It was a great time. 97, just the whole year was a great year. But if I had to pick out probably one month out of that year that will go down as the most fun for me, it was probably October of 97. Wow. Just everything, everything was firing on all cylinders. And yes, for me to be able to get in there and perform and, and get the kind of reaction and get the kind of heat that was actually valuable and you could use it, share it, as we talked about earlier. Um, I, I don't know that there was a better month in my life in, in wrestling than that one. That's so fun to hear, man. I, uh, I think we're all jealous. You know, uh, I know you and I have watched Halloween Havoc 96 together here on the program, and we both think it might be the most perfect WCW show ever. But to hear a year later, October 97, around that same Halloween Havoc time of year, you're having the time of your life. Yep, it was fun. I don't, I don't think, I don't, like I said, I, I don't want to be redundant. I, I can't think of a month that would, was more fun for me overall. I mean, business-wise, like you said, you know, to be able to, you know, surpass WWE head-to-head and become, you know, the number one wrestling company in the United States, at least in terms of television ratings. To be honest, WWE was, you know, probably generating more revenue than we were, a little bit more, uh, because they had such a strong licensing and merchandising foundation, and WCW didn't at that point. But in terms of ratings and attendance and all that, um, we were were smoking WWE in the app. That was a hell of a goal and, and to achieve it and exceed it was, was fun. For the next several weeks, Larry's going to start issuing challenges for Scott hall for a match. Hall's going to refuse every time saying Larry's not in his league. Um, November 17th, you and Larry are having a confrontation. The NWO is going to attack Larry from behind. They hold him up. So you can land several kicks on him and you guys leave him laying. The crowd heat for this is off the charts to a point where a fan even jumps the guardrail and goes after you, Eric. And the fan even briefly grabs a hold of you and then security drags him away. And I don't think in hindsight, people think about when they think about the NWO and, and, and the folks who are battling it, I think they think about DDP. They think about sting. They think about Lex Luger, but Larry's a Bisco man, this angle of you guys beating up an announcer, boy. They were just white hot for this, were they not? They were. It was a great C story. You know, it wasn't the A story. It wasn't the main event story. It wasn't even a semi-main event story. But it was a really, really solid C story. Almost B. Um, and it's just, again, you, you know, why did it work so well? There's no one reason why it works so well. There are multiple reasons. 
First of all, Scott Hall, Larry Zabisco, and the chemistry that those two had. And the backstory. There was history there. Not that the, you know, 90% of the audience really didn't know it, but the 10% did appreciated that. Um, and their, their, their respective abilities and skill to, and psychology. You talk about psychology. Scott Hall, Larry Zabisco. You know, combined, those are two, those were two powerful creative minds when it came to psychology. And they were both great performers. And add to that, you know, the amount of heat that I had because of the timing of everything. Um, man, that was a, that was a, that was a fun stew to make. Yeah. Well said, man. The, uh, the heat for this is just off the charts. And I don't think in hindsight, we even really think about Larry in that regard, but on Nitro on uh, November 24th, there's an NWO vignette showing you attacking Larry Zabisco from the Nitro the week before. And after the vignette, Zabisco leaves the broadcast table and cuts an in-ring promo saying Scott Hall got lucky winning the World War III Battle Royal, and he challenges him to a fight right then and there. The NWO music starts to play and flyers fall from the rafters, showing a photo <laughs> of Bischoff standing atop Zabisco's body from Halloween Havoc. Moments later, Bischoff interrupts from the aisle saying Hall's a busy man and that Zabisco is just a retired wrestler that was never that good to begin with. And Zabisco then challenges you in, in Hall's place and you accept. Zabisco goes down to the floor only to be held back by security. And moments later, Zabisco returns to the ring and says they have a verbal agreement. He's going to make sure JJ Dillon draws up a contract. And of course you respond, bite me. But the flyers from the ceiling of you standing on top of him, it's a silly thing, but man, people responded to it. Did they not? They did. I, I don't know. I think that was Craig Leathers or David Crockett's idea. I'm not sure which one, um, but it worked and it was yeah. Yeah. That was fun. I just think it's hilarious. And, uh, I guess the idea is we always want to have the NWO get nitro with a thunder debut coming. So that's going to be part of it. So the following week you say you'll only fight Larry at Starcade If nitro is put on the line, meaning you get to be in charge of the show. If you win JJ Dillon agrees to this. And Larry will get the match he wants with Scott Hall at sold out if he if he wins. So we've got some stakes, uh, and, and I know you're big on stakes. And then all of a sudden, we should remind everybody, Bret Hart signing changes the plans. Take us through what was, to the best of your recollection, supposed to happen, and then how it all changed when Bret Hart came into the fold. I don't I don't think I mean, and I could be wrong. Don't. Don't crucify me too much if I am, but I don't think Bret Hart coming in changed anything. I mean, it added a dimension to it, but I, it wasn't like we were going to go with plan A and then Bret became available, so we decided to go plan B instead. I think we went with plan A and we modified plan A with Bret, but I don't, I don't think it changed anything. So the big payoff, the big confrontation is going to be Larry Zabisco versus Eric Bischoff at Starcade, But now what are we going to do with the hottest heel in the WWF? We're going to make him a special guest referee for the two announcers. Yep. We do. In hindsight, if we had that to do over again, would we? I don't know. But before we 
crap all over that. I'm trying not to swear so much because I, I found out the other day that there are friend, there are safe and there are unsafe, I guess, categories of. Okay. I, I want to be. I want to be safe. I want to be. I want to be inclusive. No, actually, I want more advertisers. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna cut back on my use of foul language. Um. Keep in keep in mind that Brett was just. It's not like I knew Brett was going to have experienced what he experienced, obviously, at uh, in Montreal. None of us knew that until we saw it afterwards. But afterwards, it's like, wait a minute. If there's anybody that the audience is going to believe, keep in mind of all, you know, the NWO shenanigans and all the stuff that the NWO did to get their heat, who better than to come down and play that referee that's going to call it straight down the middle than the guy that just came off the Montreal screw job that knows what it's like to be screwed. Right. So there was logic to it. Now you can argue it. Maybe Brett should have come in on a, you know, been dropped from a helicopter or kind of ascended into the arena, like some kind of deity and bless the WCW audience with his mere presence. Maybe there was a better way to do it. I'm sure there was. But it's not like there wasn't at least some logic to it. We wanted no. to take advantage of, of the way that Brett left. And we wanted that, that, that reference for Brett to come in and say, screw it. After what I just went through, nobody's going to do that to another wrestler again. That was the, at least the premise of the idea. Did it, did it work? Eh, eh. Subjective, but probably not. Could it have been done better? Sure. 2020 hindsight. You're all geniuses. Every one of you listening now or into the future are geniuses after the fact. But at the moment, it seemed like to, it seemed like a great way to establish Brett and then let him grow from there. Kind of in your feelings about that Brett Hart shit, aren't you? Um, I've just taken a lot of abuse and I'm kind of tired of it all. <laughs> so I, you know, yeah, I react a little bit. No, I get it. I mean, and just as a reminder, I think everybody knows when Vince McMahon got his hands on Hulk Hogan and he wanted to, you know, pick up where Vern started with Hulkamania and make a big splash. He didn't come in and have him beat the iron Sheik for the world title. First, he had him as a special guest referee for Howard Finkel and Harvey Whippleman. I think everybody remembers that. Oh, wait, I forgot all about that. Thank you for bringing that up. (laughs) because <laughs> i made them get up that's the worst idea of all time uh let's talk about starcade uh Meltzer would write this in the much hyped match for nitro wcw president bischoff had his first pro wrestling match at the age of 41 think about that how much fun were you having as a 41 year old this is amazing going into the match with what was said to have been a serious knee injury perhaps a broken kneecap suffered in training for the match that may require surgery Although he was not limping on television the next night, Bischoff did reasonably well for his first match. However, it was nothing close to reasonably well for the semi-main event of the biggest show in company history. So let's time out right there. Were you injured? What was your injury? There's no way you wrestled with a broken kneecap, right? No, I did. It was fractured. How'd you do it? Working out with, with Larry at the power plant. Just stepped wrong and. I think he was he was doing a leg dive and I st- I had my leg locked and planted and it shouldn't have been and I just uh yeah fractured my kneecap. Does it bother you when stuff like that leaks out? That I fractured my kneecap? 
Well, just any sort of inside information. Like, yeah, of course it takes away. I, now it's not even though about what's going on with somebody else. It's like this happened to you and it still manages to leak out. Yeah, it did. And I was disappointed, but didn't I, I mean, yeah, I, I was angry that it leaked. I was always angry when anything leaked. I just think it's just chicken shit when people leak things, you know, I, you know, I'm sure Tony Khan's, you know, banging his head against rocks every once in a while when things are leaking out of AEW. I know when I worked for WWE, Vince McMahon a couple times lost his shit, you know, held talent meetings and threatened to fire people because it is frustrating. You work hard, you put time, you put in effort and, you know, people inside your own camp that are getting paychecks are leaking information to parasites and leeches who are making money off this stuff. Uh, and in, in the meantime, you're taking away the enjoyment from certain people who know in advance what's going to happen. You know, it'd, it'd be no different than, you know, somebody leaking a script of a, of a feature film before it's released. You know, why would you do that? You know, so it always made me angry, but yeah, it, it happened. It's, uh, it's fascinating to go back and take a look at how all of that leaked out. Um, here's the, uh, here's the, the write-up of the match. Even with the 44 year old announcer, Larry Zabisco, somewhat smaller than in his active days and maybe in a little bit better shape. He was so much larger than Bischoff that his attempts to sell Bischoff's weak appearing offense, turned the match from a heat seeking missile into almost a ridiculous farce within two minutes. To make things worse on a night where so much went wrong in the finish where Bischoff was supposed to kick Zabisco in the head in a loaded kick pad with Scott Hall, putting an object in the pad, the object went flying out of Bischoff's kick pad into the air just before the kick made contact with Zabisco's head. Zabisco had to sell that blow as a knockout and Hart, who had been teased as a heel referee throughout the match, suddenly shocked everyone by punching out Bischoff as he did McMahon. When Bischoff offered him the huge money, thus, I guess, showing publicly that he wasn't a sellout. So listen, I think we all agree that maybe the match didn't live up to the heat, but in hindsight, if we had to do it over again, as you said, we're all geniuses in hindsight, should this have been a tag match? Like that would have camouflaged some of your inexperience, maybe. And it could have been, and I'm just freestyling. Maybe it's Scott Hall and Eric Bischoff taking on Larry Zabisco and a mystery person who was revealed to be Bret Hart, maybe, or something, as opposed to you guys just one-on-one like this. Or do you think, no, in hindsight, maybe we wish the match was a little better, but this was the right idea. I, I think I, I can, I, I would agree that a tag would have probably been better. Um, that part I agree with involving Scott Hall. I still don't think it was the right time to involve the, the, especially, you know, okay. Can you imagine if it was Scott Hall and Eric Bischoff against Larry's Bisco and Bret Hart? I mean, that's, that would be, I think I would be accused of being even more insane and in trying to get myself over to put me in a match with that Bret Hartson involved in, you know, with Larry and I, it was with Larry and I was safe. Meaning Larry's an announcer. I'm a non-wrestler. I wasn't trying to be a wrestler. I wasn't trying to go out there and have a Eddie Guerrero style match. I wasn't capable of it. 
it wasn't the issue. It was a personal issue and it was heat. And I, I wish I would have been able to perform better. I wish I wouldn't have had a fractured kneecap. And I wish I would have had more time to train and get better experience, but um, I didn't. And it was what it was, but I think, you know, if it would have been Larry and anybody other than Scott, you know, somebody that wasn't as high profile as Scott was. Um, yeah, I could see that. And yeah, there would have been a way to do that. And I think it would have been better, but not with Bret Hart. That would have just been worse. It's uh, interesting. Now take us through what you're thinking at the time when you rear back with that kick and you feel it, or maybe you see it. I saw it. <laughs> I was like slow motion. I start to throw the kick up there and about three quarters of the way through the kick, I see this thing going through the air. It was like slow motion because I had time to say to myself, oh, damn. But yeah, it only took a second but or a fraction of a second, but it, it seemed like forever. Scott, Hall, I mean, I can't imagine just being you in that moment where time sort of stands still and everyone's watching and you know, it's the biggest possible audience and it's your first match and you're hurt and you got just everything against you here. And then that comes out and you got to just feel like, well, this is Murphy's law. If it could go bad, it will. (laughs) I honestly, I didn't think that. I don't think I had enough time to think that, but, and, and by the time we got to the finish, the crowd, you know, got, got a decent reaction from the crowd. And I was able to kind of put it out of my mind until I saw it on replay later. Uh, let's continue here. The observer write up hall did a run in, but was quickly put in the scorpion by Hart, which actually got the biggest pop of the show up to that point. Zabisco then choked Bischoff with his black belt and Hart uh, got, got off a laid out hall and raised Zabisco's hand signifying that WCW retained nitro. As for the big question about Thursday, well, if you've got any good ideas for a Thursday night show, email them to Eric quickly because they're starting on January 8th. If you've heard any rumors of the concept, they're only rumors because everything is up in the air right now. Now, this is something that I want to bring up. Um, the magazine on sat, which back then was a satellite magazine that was delivered to people who have, you know, direct TV or dish network. Well, they got the magazine the latest issue on the 23rd or 24th as a reminder, Starcade happens on the 28th. So it's four or five days ahead of the show. And they have a story about the new NWO Thunday, Thursday thunder show, which essentially gives away the finish of the match. And the story is also reported that with the recent Starcade being the biggest pay-per-view event in company history, which of course it would be, but it hadn't yet taken place. How frustrating is this where, you know, and we've talked about this before for things like marketing posters and pay-per-view promotion and things like that. It's due so far in advance that sometimes you can't help some of this stuff, but now you've got some stakes in a match being spoiled by a third party magazine. That really is a, a puff PR piece, but now we know wrestling's not real. We understand it's predetermined and blah, 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 but still this has to be a little frustrating. No, very very in it you know this was one example in in years of many examples of the right hand and the left hand not communicating or the left hand communicating th- communicating things that the right hand didn't want communicated 
uh, the lack of communication and coordination. And sometimes it happened by accident. You know, it's happened before uh, to, to other companies and other promotions. But with WCW, it seemed to be, it just happened so frequently. And it, a lot of it has to do with just always lack of communication. You know, things like this always start with a lack of communication. But again, because there was, WCW was so bifurcated, meaning, you know, we, our home video business, for example, it was our home video business, but we had no control over our home video business. Our ad sales were our ad sales kind of sort of, but we didn't have any control over it. You know, promotion and marketing was sometimes, you know, satellite, especially satellite information, because Turner Home Satellite, which was a division of Turner Broadcasting, oversaw the promotion and the marketing of Turner Company's, you know, products. So, again, it wasn't just incompetence or laziness or lack of attention to detail on WCW's part. Some of it also had to do with the way Turner was was structured and bifurcated and there were people in other divisions communicating things because they saw collateral materials. They saw advertisements. They, they knew where we were going in a future and sometimes would include things that shouldn't have been included. But, you know, it, it, it always frustrated me, but I think towards the end, you, you get to the point where you just have to accept it. It's, you know, there are certain advantages of being owned by the broadcast outlet that you're in business with. Um, and there's certain disadvantages, and that was one of the disadvantages. Well, I know you had to be uh, pulling your hair out. Oh, hey, by the way, you don't have to choose between better hair growth and your health. There's a holistic solution for men that promotes healthier hair and whole body wellness. Get ahead of thinning hair with Nutrafol's whole body approach to hair growth. No drugs, no compromises. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. Nutrafol's hair growth nutraceuticals go beyond genetics to multi-target the root causes of thinning, including stress, hormones, nutrition, metabolism, aging, and lifestyle through whole body health. Physician formulated using natural medical grade ingredients, Nutrafol's drug-free patented technology provides consistent, reliable results without compromising your sexual health. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three and six, six months. Nutrafol is also trusted and recommended by more than 3,000 doctors. So here's the deal, guys. You can grow thicker and healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com slash men and entering the promo code 83 weeks to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers and only for a limited time. Plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com slash men. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com slash men. The promo code is 83 weeks and, and Eric, we've spent a lot of time talking about how much you enjoyed the NWO and you enjoyed 1997 and you enjoyed working with Larry, but a lot of this wouldn't have happened without a great head of hair, right? None of it. (laughs) Vern Gagne would have never hired me had it not been for my hair. I had weatherman hair. 
I had perfect hair, a full head of perfect hair that Vern, who was bald, clearly, clearly was jealous of. But since he couldn't grow his own head of hair, he hired me. I would have never been hired had it not been for my hair. Look at that hair. Look at it. If you're watching along on, on ad3shows.com, that is a head of hair. Damn. Look good. Nutrafol is physician formulated to be 100% drug-free. They use natural medical-grade botanicals and consistently effective dosage to make sure that you get the most reliable results. Don't take our word for it. Go check it out for yourself. Get $15 off and enjoy free shipping right now at nutrafol.com slash men and use the promo code 83 weeks. So it's a big win for Larry here at uh Starcade and uh Sting of course is going to finish us off with another big win. We talked about that in the archives, one of the highlight moments here on the program. Larry doesn't step back in the ring to wrestle again until sold out. That's where he finally gets his match against Scott Hall. At sold out 98, of course, we would see Dusty Rhodes turn on Larry in the match versus Scott Hall. That's right. Dusty Rhodes joined the NWO. In hindsight, that wasn't one of our better decisions. Would you agree? You liked yeah. it? <laughs> okay. I mean, Dusty as a, as in the NWO, that just feels weird. Yeah, it, it, it does. And I feel bad about it. That's one we'd love to pull back. And I can tell you all the reasons why, and it's still a bad idea. Yeah. So we'll just let it go with the bad idea. I, uh, I can't help but bring it up. This is the write-up directly from the observer. Scott Hall came out with Louis Spicoli, who was his second slash flunky. Zabisco is going to bring out Dusty Rhodes. Quote, for an issue that has drawn so much heat for so many months, it was almost eerie, the lack of heat, once they actually got in the ring. There's nothing wrong with the match as Zabisco's actual work was solid and visually he looked in better shape than when he was a full-time wrestler. There was nothing good about the match either. The only strong reaction was a huge Larry sucks chant followed by a smaller hall sucks chant. There was a period where the match threatened to fall apart before they went to the finish. Either way, you get the idea. Eventually dusty Rhodes does a run in delivers the big elbow on Spicoli who sold it so well. But if they could go back 13 years in the time machine, Dusty would have made him one of the four horsemen. Rhodes went to Elbow Hall, who moved, and he, quote-unquote, accidentally clobbered Zabisco. And at this point, Rhodes teased going after Hall, but then took off his shirt, revealing an NWO t-shirt. Rhodes and Spicoli began dropping elbows on Zabisco, while the announcer, Tony Schiavone, acted disgusted. And as Zabisco's laying there, trying to get sympathy... A huge Larry sucks chant starts again. We, uh, we maybe fumbled the bag at Starcade and they weren't ready for it. What do you think? They were over it. I think they were over it. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it had played out. Yeah. It was time to put it to bed. You uh, try to keep this Larry thing going. You set up a match with him and Louis Spicoli for Super Brawl in February of 98, but unfortunately Spicoli passes away a week before the show. And that's kind of the end of what we were doing with Larry as well. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about Louis Spicoli here on the program. Now feels like just as good a time as any. 
how did you handle the news that, I mean, this is a young, young guy gone way, way too early and it would start to become a problem in wrestling where we would see guys who were doing mixing alcohol and prescription pain pills. But this fella is 27 years old, passed away on February 15th, just five days after his 27th birthday. It's just hard to imagine a guy with so much life and future ahead of him and seemingly well-liked by everyone he worked Very with. Very well-liked. Very well-liked. You know, it's like he, he's not with us. He can't defend himself. And I honestly didn't know Louis very well at all. Worked with him very little for a brief period of time. But Louis, like a lot of the guys in that era, uh, enjoyed Soma's. Soma is a muscle relaxer and would oftentimes go down to Mexico and stock up on Soma's. And when you mix Soma's and alcohol, um, it can be, as it was in Louis's case, deadly. And it wasn't until afterwards, you know, I, I didn't really understand what Louis was into at the time. Um, but it wasn't until afterwards that I had, and I don't know if it's true or not, but you know, the rumor was that Eddie, uh, Louis was, <clears throat> Louis liked to share, let's put it that way. So I, 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 I was saddened obviously by it, but I didn't know Louis that well. And when I kind of found out afterwards what Louis was into, it's just another one of those sad stories. that wasn't all that surprising and fairly predictable, unfortunately. Man, I, uh, I wish Louie was still with us. He'd be having a lot of fun with wrestling today. Uh, that's going to be the end of Larry getting in the ring. I don't think he steps in the ring again for WCW. Uh, he does continue as a, a commentator. Was this sort of, did you feel like after the, the presentation that sold out and the reaction and the, you know, then of course the unfortunate passing of Louis Piccoli, like, Hey, that's enough. Let's. Let's just put this to bed and move it along. How did Larry take that? I, I think Larry would, I think Larry understood. Yeah. Um, the, the truth is we should have ended, you know, Larry's story should have come to an end with at Starcade. Yeah. That that's, that's all it was intended to be. Uh, it wasn't intended to go beyond that, but again, Larry wanted to be in the ring and I obviously acquiesced. Um, but in hindsight, if I had to do that all over again, the Starcade would have been the end of it. Um, I just think it had played itself out and, and obviously building up to the Louis thing and then Louis passing away. It was just like, where do you go from there? What story are you going to start now? You know, and especially for a guy who was, I, I never intended Larry to be a regular performer in the ring. Right. Well, uh, we know that, uh, that's going to be the end of his in-ring stuff, but does your relationship ever change with Larry? I mean, he is you know, he's a guy who you sort of broke in with for lack of a better word, not him, but you were, and you know, we know that eventually you're going to get shown the door and he's still going to stick around. Did it change as you sort of rose to prominence and then you got to work with him on cam. And then when you're shown the door, sometimes people learn who their real friends were. Did anything change with Larry through any of this process? Not really. You know, and again, Larry, Larry and I were never, you know, we never hung out. We never, I, I never went to his house for dinner. He never came to my house to dinner. We never went, Larry wasn't much of a drinker. Um, so it wasn't like, you know, we'd hang out at shows after the show or anything like that. So it wasn't like we had this super tight relationship and then I was let go. 
um, at, at WCW and there would have been a change. We didn't really communicate much when we weren't working together. And I think, you know, I saw Larry years later and at a convention and, and we hit it off and laughed and joked and still had a great time. And so I, I don't think it really changed. I, I, no, I don't think it did. Larry may feel differently, but I don't. He gets brought back for one more match in 1999. After you're gone, he's going to lose a retirement match to Kurt Henning. And then he's going to form the old age outlaws with Terry Funk, Arn Anderson, and Paul Orndorff to feud with the NWO 2000. The less said about that, probably the better. Uh, and then he works some Indies after WCW closes. And then Larry put a lawsuit on WWE in 2002 over them using the name living legend for Chris Jericho. I don't think anything really ever came of it from a legal standpoint. WWE just stopped doing it. Um, of course we know that TNA had Larry Zbysko hanging around from 03 to 06. He's going to do a couple of matches with AJ styles in January of 03 and then lose a hair versus hair match to Raven in 06. But that's probably the end of a national audience for Larry until we see him a handful of years ago, be inducted in the WWE hall of fame by his former trainer and hero, Bruno San Martino. And I think if you can hear it in the distance, he's still going with his hall of fame speech. <laughs> Hopefully he'll wrap it up here soon. Uh, what are some of your favorite stories with Larry? Did you ever play golf with him? What was he into? Do you ever travel with him in the car? Well, I was, he as a wheel man. Any good road stories? Can I travel with Larry. You know, we did a, we did a couple house shows uh, in AWA and I rode with Larry and let's say Larry liked, he loved herbs, just loved his herbs. Got it. Used them on his food. Any, any, any kind of herb. Larry loved that. Um, and I wasn't into herbs as much back then. So, you know, I just ride along and then at a certain point I would take over driving and, uh, Larry was just fun, man. I, I t- There's nothing that stands out about Larry other than he's just chill and fun and doesn't take himself too seriously. Well said. Uh, well, next week, uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, the end of your time in TNA, the highs, the lows, everything in between. It's going to be a pretty controversial episode. I'm sure before we get there though, I want to remind everybody that Tomorrow night, we're doing something we've never done before. Click this is coming to ad free shows for a live event. You're going to be able to sit down and watch Starcade 1998, the main event where somebody had to beat Goldberg for the world title. Somebody happened to be Kevin Nash, the booker. Lots of criticism about this. One of the most controversial moments in Kevin Nash's entire career. He's going to watch it with you and answer your questions live tomorrow night at nine o'clock Eastern at adfreeshows.com. All $29 level members will not only enjoy all the bonus content that we have, and there is a ton of it, including a, a brand new series. We just rolled out called the book where we sit down with the booker of world-class David Manning. And we sit down with uh, Jim Crockett Jr.'s brother, David Crockett, and we break down their handwritten notes as they go through the years, 1983 and 1985 month by month. It's fantastic. Lots of other bonus content, but you'll get to sit in live tomorrow night with Kevin Nash and Sean Oliver 
as they break down and discuss Starcade 1998. And you can even ask questions too. It's all happening at adfreeshows.com. Speaking of questions, we've got a handful that we need to get to here. Uh, Peter D wants to know, did Larry put audiences off with his commentary at times? He tended to use flowery sayings and sentences that felt out of place compared to the other announcers. Any heat from his announcing colleagues as a result? None whatsoever. You know, everybody's got their gimmick, right? Everybody's got something that they do. Hopefully they do that. Other people aren't doing that makes them unique. And that was part of Larry's character. I don't think, no, I don't think anybody was put off by it at all. And I don't think the audience was, it just made Larry, Larry. Instagram, a wrestling historian wants to know, Eric, what was your favorite Larry Zabisco match? Thank you in advance. Wow. Larry had a lot of great matches in AWA. You know, I, I can't pull one out of my uh, memory bank for WCW or a specific one necessarily with Larry in AWA, but there was a lot of great talents in the AWA that could really work in the ring, the style of wrestling that I particularly like subjectively. And, uh, there were, there were a lot of them, but I, I probably couldn't pick one off the top of my head. I have to go back and look at several. I'll tell you this. Uh, if you're looking for one that maybe you haven't thought of or seen in a while, let me recommend wrestle war 92. It's arguably one of the best war games of all time. Uh, we would see sting squadron take on the dangerous Alliance. So that sting Barry Windham, Dustin Rhodes, Ricky steamboat, and Nikita Koloff taking on Steve Austin, Rick rude, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, and Larry Zabisco. That's a damn good one. Hey, and speaking of a damn good one, keeps is a damn good one. They offer simple, affordable, and a stress-free way to keep your hair via convenient virtual consultations with a licensed medical provider and medications delivered straight to your door every three months, meaning you don't even have to leave your home. They've also got 24 seven care and support. You see keeps has a network of medical experts, the advisors, the prescribers, and the care specialists that you need to support you and making your hair goals a reality. It's also low cost too. Treatment started just $10 a month and keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA approved medications to prevent hair loss. Did you know that there's only two FDA approved medications that can prevent hair loss and our friends at keeps have them both. You may not know this either. Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35 and more than 50 million men in the U S suffer from male pattern baldness. Well, Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of their competitors. You see, the treatments are affordable. They typically cost half of what the pharmacy prices might be. Keeps has everything your hair needs, delivered straight to your door with discreet packaging and proven results. And remember, prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so act fast. And right now, we've got a special offer for you. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, Go to keeps.com slash 83 weeks to receive your first month of treatment free. That's keeps.com slash 83 weeks to get your first month free. That's keeps.com slash 83 weeks. Uh, let's do another question here. Uh, we've got um, Mike who wants to know I'm from El Paso and I'm just curious, how did you all make the decision to have Larry Zabisco? get lost on a golf course and stranded before that episode of nitro. He was such a competent on-air guy. This was the one time he seemed aloof and thrown off. Aha. So he really loved that bit. Uh, what do you remember about that? that God, I don't remember it at all. I have to go back and find it. I'm drawing a blank on that one. Do you remember it, Conrad? 
Well, I remember the golf cart thing, but I don't remember it being a, a, a knee slapper, but we will definitely post it up on Twitter at 83 weeks. Uh, so we'll pull that video. And yeah. I'd love to see that. I can't remember that at all. So follow us on 83 weeks. If you want to see that Jeremy priest wants to know the first thing I think of when I hear Larry is the matches he had with Bruno. Uh, that's probably the career highlight. Don't you think? I mean, that's the thing he talks about more than anything. I know we spent a lot of time on the WCW stuff because that was your time with him. But the Bruno thing, even now, all these years later, still probably the biggest thing, in, at least in his mind, right? Why wouldn't it be, though? I mean, he yeah. was, you know, first of all, it's Bruno San Martino, as you pointed out at the beginning of the show. Bruno San Martino was his generation's Hulk Hogan. Yeah. So, yes. Uh, first of all, it was Bruno San Martino. Secondly, Bruno San Martino trained Larry Zbysko. Right. So now you get to not only work with one of the biggest names in, in his era, but it's someone who's trained you that you look up to and has mentored you. That's a special gift. Of course, I can see why Larry still talks about it. I just want to remind everybody too, because I realized this is before, you know, we had everything on pay-per-view and and VHS and things like that, but we had 36,295 fans on hand here. And the idea was that, you know, Larry was supposed to be the protege of Bruno San Martino, and then he turns on him. And so this is the comeuppance for Larry. And it was called Showdown at Shea in Flushing, New York. Think about that. Shea Stadium. My goodness, man. 36,295 folks. That's a that's that's a lot of folks. It is indeed. And like I said, and, and again, to I mean, I can't imagine how cool of a feeling that would have been. I, I really, and intimidating and all of the above, the, the amount of adrenaline that had to been going through Larry's veins, um, at that point in time, just, it had to be really, really exciting. Ted, Josh, to- Josh, let me ask you, Josh Rosenblum. I see one here, Eric, would Larry be the kind of guy to get into a bar fight? Absolutely not. Larry was so chill. I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't let you take advantage of him. He wouldn't, you know, let you punch him in the head and walk away, but he would, he would avoid. He just would avoid that. And besides, Larry wasn't the kind of guy that anybody would want to pick a fight with. There wouldn't be no reason. He was just too chill, too much fun. Uh, Mark Nelson, uh, who's watching over on adfreeshows.com, he wants to know, can we do this every week? Uh, As a matter of fact, Mark, we're going to do that. We're going to start doing this every single week we can uh, over at adfreeshows.com. It doesn't get any earlier than real time. Uh, he had another follow-up question. What made Eric decide to put Larry in as a commentator? Uh, what was it about, you know, when, when you take a look at the entire roster and I realize that this gets lost a lot, but you got Scott Hudson, you got Chris Cruz, you got Bobby Heenan, you got mean Gene Okerlund, you got Tony Siobhan. I mean, you got murderers row here and you've also got folks like Lee Marshall and on and on and on Mike Tanay. Larry Zabisco, did, was it the relationship or did you just think he really did brought that much credibility because he wasn't in ring performance? No, it was all credibility because I had worked with him before. I knew what he was capable of. I knew his, his style and his approach. And I knew Larry's psychology, not only psychology in the ring, obviously, but there was a psychology in being a color commentator in a process. And I just, you know, the, all of the names that you mentioned were all valuable names to one degree or another. But Larry had something that very few of the other people that you mentioned had, which is that in-ring credibility where Larry could get inside of the mind 
of the wrestler that we're watching in the ring and tell you what that wrestler is thinking and why none of the other, you know, Bobby, Bobby Heenan could do it. Bobby Heenan could do it with credibility, but very few others could certainly Mike tonight. Couldn't I couldn't, I was never a color commentator, but had I been a color commentator, I couldn't have done it. Chris Cruz certainly couldn't have done, couldn't have done it. Mike tonight right. couldn't have done it. There's a lot of people that didn't have that. I've been there. I've done that. I know what this guy's thinking. And that's the element that made Larry stand out from everybody else. When we're thinking about the way it all shakes out in terms of the way the talent see things, a lot of times we've heard that the talent would say one of the boys or office. It falls into one of those two categories. So a guy like Tony Schiavone, a guy like Eric Bischoff, as friendly as they may be, I think most in-ring talent would say, well, those guys are office. How was Larry Zabisco viewed? Was he office or was he talent? Because he was. He was talent. He was talent. Okay. He was talent. Well, there you go. Uh, we'll do one more here. Adam Arpin wants to know, is Larry Zabisco one of the most overlooked and underappreciated personalities of the Monday night wars era by that? I mean, most people talk about Shivani, Jr. Heenan and Lawler. When commentators are mentioned, Larry gets lost in the shuffle. Can you speak to how different things might've been without Larry to help there and put lyrics to the music that was being played in the ring? Oh, I can't imagine what things would have been like without Larry. And I'm sure we would have done okay without Larry, but I think we did better with Larry. I think, you know, when you look back at the success of Nitro and how we were able to go from, you know, being number 22 to being number one, when I say number 22, it's because technically we were number two uh, before Nitro and before NWO, we were WCW was number two, but we might as well have been number 22 in terms of size of audience and scope and reach and all that. And to be able to, collapse that and become the number one uh, wrestling company on television in the world. Um, it took a lot of things, not just one thing. And Larry was one of those things. Larry's credibility uh, was one of those things. And I think Larry contributed. I mean, hell he helped come. He not only helped, he gave us the name of the NWO to this day, one of the most successful storylines, factions, groups, whatever you want to call it, in the history of the industry. Bar not. Nobody can come close in a real conversation about real impact. Nobody can come close. We can all romanticize and talk about what meant so much to us as children, but from an economic perspective, globally, nothing comes close and probably never will. And Larry was a part of that. He's got his fingerprints in it. We're going to end with a big video that I can't wait for you to see. Uh, and I'm going to ask you a question right before we press play, but before we do, I want to remind everybody we're doing it again next week. We're going to be doing it live. If you want to join us, it's easy. Go check out adfreeshows.com, sign up and be sure to take part in tomorrow night. And I'm telling you, everybody's going to be talking about this come Wednesday morning, Kevin Nash breaking down Starcade 1998. He beat Goldberg. He became the world title. I mean, famously, Bobby Heenan went back to the hotel and said, we just killed the golden goose. We're going to get Kevin's response to that and a whole lot more tomorrow night at adfreeshows.com. We hope you dig what we did today and uh, you'll throw us a like button, hit the subscribe button. If you haven't already, throw us a five-star review. If you think we've earned it, if you like watching Eric piss people off, you should follow him on Twitter. It's at E Bischoff. He does it on a daily basis. Uh, When he gets bored, he chooses violence and he does it in tweet form (laughs) at E Bischoff. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. 
Uh, we're both on Instagram as well. He is at the real Eric Bischoff. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad Thompson on Facebook. He is E Bischoff. I am Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. Our show handle is everywhere at 83 weeks. So look us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, anywhere you enjoy social media at 83 weeks. But the easiest way to see what we're doing and watch how much fun we're having is to recommend our YouTube channel. We got tons of great little clips over there. It's an excellent way to introduce the wrestling fan in your life to our show. Cause sometimes like today we go longer than two hours, but you can get little bite-sized bits over at 83 weeks on youtube.com. That's 83 weeks on youtube.com, but maybe the highlight I've been looking forward to since we clicked record Eric, what did you think of Larry as a singer? I, I don't, I can't wait to see what we or hear what we have or both, but I can't tell you what I thought of him as a singer. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Larry Zabisco performing the AWA Wrestle Rock Rumble. Oh no. I'm Kurt Hennig and Big Scott Hall. The tag team champs will take on them all. So bring on the long riders, those dirt ball dumbos. We'll smear those books and do the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Okay, I think we're in a loop now. We've seen this one. This is Nick Blackwinkle, and I've got a passion. Oh. I'll get the title back from that humanoid Hanson. I've got the brains, and I'm not humble. I'll take the belt back and do the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Wrestle Rock, April 20th, at the Dome. Wrestle Rock. I'm Larry the Fist 
Oh, won't be true till I get done slapping around Scott the Duke. Gonna beat the ugly bartender into a bundle and laugh all the way doing Wrestle Rock Rumble. Ow! This game dark got a mouth that won't quit, but I'm Scott McGee and wanna smack a little shit. And when I'm through, you won't be able to mumble. I'll be left alone doing the Rattle Rock Rumble. Yeah! Just one last word from the former champ Fern, but give a lot of thought to one more turn. The some old scores that still give me trouble, and I'm starting to get the urge to do the Wrestle Rock Rumble. So there you have it, and now you know them, and on April 20th, it's at the Dome. So get your tickets to be under the bubble, because you two can be doing the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Do it! Uh -huh. Wrestle Rumble. 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 Anybody who gives you shit about Master P and WCW ever again can kiss your ass. I think Ken Resnick should be indicted. I don't think there should, there should not be a statue of limitations on being the most awkward white guy in the world. Ken Resnick. Ken Resnick should be indicted. There should you, be some kind of crime against culture or something that could be he could be indicted for. You know, something that was so heinous and did so much damage to the culture and the psyche of those people that were alive at the time and watching wrestling that, I don't know, maybe even civilly. You should be able to sue him. Do you think uh, if you tried, you could recreate his dance moves? No. <laughs> no. That was hideous. Yeah. That was, that was hideous. Eric Jones says, uh, Ken Resnick set white people back, white people's rhythm back a hundred years. Uh, man, what a fun time this was. I hope you enjoyed the, uh, the Wrestle Rock Rumble as much as we did. The silliness that is professional wrestling is the gift that keeps on giving. We had a blast today here on adfreeshows.com. You get it early and ad free. doesn't get more early than uh, real time. What'd you think, Eric, doing our show with a live studio audience for the first time? I can't time. wait to do more. I can't wait to do because as we get more used to it, we'll get better at it. We'll be able to include more people and make it a party. I absolutely love it. It just raises the energy of the show. We'll be back next week talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly of Eric's run and TNA. You think we'll get sued after next week? Well, I won't, but you think you might? I got nothing. You can't get nothing from me, brother. <laughs> Sue away. Sue away. Come get it. You want some? Come get some, as Scott Snyder used to say. We'll do it next week right here on 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.